Hello. Hi. <laughs> We're excited to have you listening to episode 31 of A Tale of Two Singles. So in this episode, we are doing another interview. We're joined by our special guest, Vicky Walker. Vicky is a writer, speaker, interviewer, event host and a radio person. And we're really pleased that she joined us for this episode because we both love her. We've heard her speaking in many different platforms. And um, what she does is um, lots of different things. But one of the main reasons we asked her is because of her research into Christian relationships. And she shares um, data that she got in her book, Relatable, exploring God, love and connection in the age of choice. So we chat with Vicky about some of the data around Christian dating, whether what the church teaches us around relationships actually matches up to the experiences of the hundreds of people who filled in her survey and how we can start doing things a bit better. Hope you enjoy. I feel a little bit nervous now because <laughs> you just told me I'm not allowed to say anything. <laughs> I specified don't say too much because we've got some cauliflower chicken. No, cauliflower <laughs> chicken. <laughs> Weirdest dish ever. Cauliflower cheese. In the oven. Yeah. Um, so we don't want to miss that. But you're going away tomorrow and then I'm going away. We're um, not going to be around for six weeks, guys. Which means you're definitely not going to have an episode for us. No. For the next few weeks. No. So we wanted to quickly intro this episode because we're very excited about it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's... We loved the interview. I'm hoping it's going to be really helpful mm -hmm. for you. Yes. It's quite different to our normal episodes because Vicky, who we've got on the episode, has done a lot of research into kind of Christian relationships. A lot of people shared, mm -hmm. like 1,500 people shared their experiences of dating and marriage within the church, yeah. especially with her. And so she put that all into her book and has kindly come to share it with us in this episode. Um, so there's lots of... Yeah, information that I think will maybe reflect a lot of your experiences as well. Yeah. Um, so please bear with us in this one because we actually did have a little technical <laughs> issue. So maybe the sound quality might not be exactly as you are used to, but... With our high quality, you know, editing skills. Yes. And top-notch microphone bought by one of our beloved listeners. Yes, thanks again. Um, yeah, so hopefully if you can get past that, just keep listening because we really enjoyed it in hope that it will be great for you to hear yeah and as ever we would love your thoughts so once you finish listening please let us know what you think by instagramming us or facebooking us at a tale of two singles or emailing a tale of two singles at gmail.com please do great <laughs> let's get started <laughs> so thank you so much again for joining us Really, first of all, we just wanted to ask you, like, we think our listeners would be really interested to hear about your Real Life Love survey and your book, Relatable, Exploring God, Love and Connection in the Age of Choice. And we just kind of wondered what even compelled you to do this research and write the book. Okay, the long pause is not a Zoom pause. The long pause is me trying to remember what possessed <laughs> what possessed me um, to do yeah. this. It ended up taking three years to research and write this book, which I had no idea when I started off that it was going to be the case. And I can't now, now for even a second, pinpoint the moment where I said, I know, 
what I'll do. But I do remember thinking I was going to write something about um, faith and relationships. And I'd written a book originally called Do I Have to Be Good All the Time several years before that, um, which was more personal and had a lot of people contact me. And it was quite clear that people's experiences were not matching what they had been told would happen. So I think at some point I thought, well, I'll just, you know, potentially write about this. And I did a little survey, I thought, and asked a few people, um, you know, you've done similar surveys for books on different topics, philosophy and body image and other things. How many people responded to your surveys? And they all said, oh, it was about 200. And I thought, okay, well, that's good. That'll just be some stories Mm. that, you know, back up anything that I write about. And I set up the survey and I had 200 in the first 24 hours. So I thought, okay, well, this is obviously going to be a a bigger thing. And then it ended up being, uh, I think I cut it off at 1,500, just less than. Mm. And people had poured out their experiences. And, um, you know, in, in the majority of cases, it was obviously not the fairy tale that they'd been told to expect. It wasn't necessarily negative. It was just that it hadn't been this idea I was just looking for the stat and it was 13% of respondents said they'd had a relationship history they describe as happy and straightforward and I think only 17% said things had gone the way that they'd been taught that it would go so I guess 4% wow. of people have been told it wouldn't be happy and straightforward so so that, <laughs> so that worked um, but yeah for yeah. the most part you know the vast majority of people out of that 13% um somehow we turn that into the aspiration and the norm and um, rather than saying, mm. well, this is what's happening to the majority of people. So we should talk about what that actually looks like. That just wasn't really happening at all. So, yeah, it was yeah. a bit of a wake up call, I think. And why do you think, I don't know, I, this is a big question. <laughs> you probably don't know the answer, but you might have more of an idea. <laughs> why... Are we being taught something that's only true 13% of the time? Maybe 17% of the time, but... I think part of it's wishful thinking, isn't it? I know that might not be the Mm. Christian terminology, but it's the idea that we can aspire to something. So I ended up calling it normalising the exceptions and saying, well, if you can, if you you know, they kind of, if you can see it, Mm. you can be it. This idea that, well, it worked for them. So all I need to do is something and it will happen for me as well. So... People were were definitely really committed to the idea of their faith and personal relationships interacting. I think it was 85% said that their faith influenced their dating and relationship decisions. So it wasn't something that was separate. And I guess, Mm. you know, you could take the idea of biblical marriage in inverted commas to mean lots of different things. Um, But I don't think for many people, the idea of what they saw now versus what they might have seen in the you know old testament stories or new testament or anything in between really matched up in that way so somehow um i I think when i actually went did a full study of the kind of history of marriage because i did have a lot of time on my hands somehow to do all of this and it ended (laughs) up being this weird mix it was like old testament patriarchy and then the sort of New Testament uh, redef- you know, redefinition, this is the orderliness, this is how we now do marriage. And then it kind of flipped to the Tudor bit where you had, you know, the actual marriage ceremony and the vows that are still said now were from kind of Tudor times. Then it went to the Victorian bit of long marriages suddenly where, you know, women couldn't get divorced. And then we brought all of that in. 
and then to the 1950s, which was the only point in time really that you'd had this, you know, um, I guess you'd call it a kind of patriarchal marriage in the in the present day or in modern times. And then suddenly we ended up at purity culture in the 90s. And then it was just this amalgamation of all these things where we picked and chosen throughout, you know, 2000 years or more of history and then said, so we'll call that Christian marriage. Um, but mm. it, it wasn't obviously really like that. It sort of jumped from this Adam and Eve through to, you know, the 90s and don't touch what you haven't got and all of the mm. all of the little you know things that came out to remind <laughs> you to stay pure. Uh, just yeah. pulled pull together all of these bits of history and ignored lots of other bits. So it was a very weird amalgamation that didn't really map onto any any kind of one period of time that especially not the mm. one we were living in you know aside from the fact of technology now having a big role to play in how people meet just didn't really didn't really feature and yet that was still being held up as the norm so you would still see church leadership often being you know heterosexual married men who had no fertility issues and a, a lovely wife who supported him in everything he did and there you go. There's your there's your model. There's your you know thirteen percent out of mm-hmm. you know whatever the percentage of the church is. So, and statistically, more married people than single people go to church or did before the pandemic. So, mm. I guess that's what you're seeing around you. You know that like attracts like in that way as well. So, yeah, interesting mm. mix. That's really fascinating. The history of actually because it's so pervasive. And I think if you said to most christians what is christian marriage that's what they'd say and i probably myself also and you don't actually think yeah. where it's come from or because i couldn't obviously it's not in the bible so you couldn't pick out and be like oh yes here's where it says the women should cook dinner and <laughs> well i guess they did i mean even the sort of bits that we've taken on like you know the honeymoon idea if you go back to what it meant in the bible that was the period of time that a man spent immediately after marriage and it was really unromantically to ensure that any children were his that the woman hadn't mm. you know met the neighbours so to speak because <laughs> <So, laughs> you know people weren't going very far so you know yeah. there was lots and lots about the bloodline and about fertility mm. and you know it really just was ingrained and obviously you know the culture was so different and I think the challenge has always been to, there's been a big thing that the church has always wanted to split out culture and the church, but I don't think they've identified what's effectively the subculture that sits in between those things. So I think that is one of the challenges for anybody looking at this, you know, with a sort of critical eye is to think, well, what's culture? What's the Christian subculture? And then what's your theology of it? What's your actual belief? And where does that come from? So... It is a bit of a challenge to dig into all of that. Yeah, I think like listening and like kind of engaging with some of the things that you've been, I've heard you talking about, I'm just like, there is a minefield and there is so much to like unpick or perhaps recognise how things have been introduced or just accepted over the years of this is how it happens and we continue to follow that line but I think like one of the things that really strikes me is how you were saying um like normalizing the exception and just how like you said like 13 and 17 (laughs) percent have experienced what they thought would happen and then we're expected that's such a tiny minority really when you think about that 
I think there's that as well that we were talking about before that really, mm. um, or it wasn't really statistic, more the stories that you had in your um, survey was the idea that women, obviously the statistics of women versus men in the church, I think is quite commonly known that there is a lot more women. And then it was interesting mm. when you dug into it and it was seemed like women were saying um, they want someone who holds the same theology. And there was a lot more it just feels like a loop. Can you talk a bit about that? Because I'm not doing justice to it, but it felt like a bit of a losing game <laughs> yeah. like for women. You, I like the way you um, said men yeah. versus women, like it was a kind of pitch battle as well <laughs> yeah. on a Sunday. That's so, how I view yeah. dating. Yeah. It's no, just I think, a competition. I think, a, I think that's a good, healthy way to view it, to be honest. So <laughs> always come prepared with some sort of weaponry yeah. just in case. So Yeah, I think I think that was that was a really interesting thing that we sort of moved away from this idea. Not many people said oh, I want a man who's going to be a spiritual leader. There was a, a tiny, a tiny amount. I can't even think if I've got the statistic, but 17% thought men were created to lead and women were created to submit and support. So obviously not a, a, a majority view of the people who responded. But And were some of them men? Yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I did, I think what I had was a, a range of people, including those who wanted to say that everything that the church had taught had worked brilliantly for them. Some of those were men, but also I had men saying it ruined everything. You know, we got married without mm. knowing each other very well, or I was expected to fulfill this role I didn't want to fulfill. I had some people who were egalitarians when they got married, who saw kind of equality in their marriage, who'd then become more complementarian and embraced what they saw as natural roles of the man being in charge and vice versa. So so there's definitely a, a sense as time passes, you know, often people do rethink the roles either they've inherited or that haven't necessarily worked for them. So there was there was some of that. But whereas women didn't want necessarily a leader, they it was like over two thirds. Their non-negotiable was someone of the same faith. And I think I did unpick some of that in the book to say, well, same faith is not the same as same theology you know you could have the same faith and be completely different people mm. so the more you kind of narrow down this idea of same faith the more interesting the challenge becomes <laughs> because you've always you've already got this kind of two-thirds of women to a third of men so you, if men don't also share this idea of the same faith which they didn't men's top non-negotiable was kindness so it was just over, I think it was 59% of men said same faith as a non-negotiable. So that's almost half of the men who didn't have same faith as a non-negotiable. So whereas all these women were potentially just waiting for these men that not to lead them anymore, but they could partner with and they could go out and mm. change the world with and, uh, you know, had all these ideas about what their lives would look like when they met this man that there was now going to be their equal, that actually a lot of men were saying, well, if she's kind and if she looks nice, then, you know, great if she prays as well, but not necessarily, um, mm. not necessarily their, you know, their main thing. So, which isn't to say that there weren't men who absolutely did uh, say that, but it just was a disparity. Again, it's just something to, mm. to note, I think, that we're not all on the same page with it. And often it doesn't get, doesn't get talked about, you know, you don't really dig into does this person think or express their faith in the same way as me? And does it matter even? Mm. Um, particularly if, you know, men have got certain kinds of baggage. I think I ended up calling it the crown prince syndrome. If you're 
brought up as a as a man in a certain <laughs> kind of church where you know you're told not even to make eye contact with women in case they get the wrong idea mm. and think that you know you're going to marry them I mean I I have met men like that in my life and it's quite astounding sometimes the mm. um what they've been taught to believe that they should be careful to protect these women from you know their great manliness that might just burst forth at any moment so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And it feels kind of like I don't it, I don't think that there's any like cruelty intended in it, but it does feel almost like what we're told to aspire to and the statistics don't line up. And actually, I think this whole idea that your like highest purpose and your highest calling is to be a wife and a mother, which is still exalted as a really and I, I mean it is a wonderful thing of course but it's not like I don't believe the ultimate purpose but it's taught as that mm. in some places and yet if the only way you can achieve that is to marry a Christian man and there's less Christian men then obviously not all women are going to be able to achieve it so it feels like quite a cruel like did that come out of your like stories that you were getting that it was actually mm. quite an unkind kind of experience for people yeah I think it had really damaged a lot of people and I, I did end up devoting a significant part of the book to what it's like to date outside the faith because one of the mm. things I think was a double blow for women was this idea that well you had to basically wait and only be with a Christian man and generally in church you were told not to go and look that's quite a recent phenomenon that you'd even be allowed to go and do that allowed so to speak to go and do that yeah. um, but then you would find um, that women wouldn't necessarily even if they went and looked the idea was that you would only look within certain circles and you couldn't be trusted um, to sort of judge the situation outside of that so one of the key things I think was women who had a faith still but had ended up dating and marrying men outside of the church and that had almost been painted as this, you know, almost like the unforgivable sin. If, you, if you're going to do that, then we don't know what to do with you. You know, there's, you know there wasn't a, re- a kind of reality check about the fact that for a lot of women, um, the men in the church weren't that appealing in some cases. You know, there might be men who, aside from the fact they all came to church, they had nothing in common with. But also these might be men whose theology was of the type that, you know, I'm, I, I get to choose, you know, the kind of crown prince syndrome. They were not necessarily women, um, you know, wanting necessarily to be with these men. They weren't good matches. Whereas women were going outside the church and meeting men that they had a lot more in common with and often bringing those men back into the church in some way. So mm. this lack of trust that was often presented as, you know, the risk and the danger, this idea that if you went outside the church doors, this sort of here be dragons you know, flat earth kind of approach to meeting someone who wasn't a Christian could only lead to your downfall. It was it was really kind of out of date and really unhelpful. And actually, you know, lots of women were going out and meeting men um, who were then becoming integrated into the church and finding their own faith and going on their own faith journey. And I thought one of the key things, lessons for the church, should they wish to learn it, um, was that the welcome makes all the difference. You know, if the church becomes a place where women can bring the men... We've lost you, Vicky. We've lost your sound. Oh, no. I haven't done anything. Oh, no. I can see that you're talking. (laughs) (laughs) But you can't hear me full stop, right? Now we can hear you. 
Was there anything that surprised you when you were doing the research? Like, was there anything that came out that you were like, oh, this is, I wasn't expecting this, or was it kind of things you'd been hearing anyway? I mean, the scale of it, I think, surprised me. The fact Mm. that that so many people really, really wanted to talk about this as well, and I I don't think the church really did. Every time this this subject comes up in a, you know, in a book or a talk or anything like that, people leap on it because they really want to talk about it. And either it's because they haven't met someone or they've met someone and it hasn't gone the way they were told it would. You know, people had uh, lost their faith in some cases because of it. You know, the harm had been really deep seated. So it's I guess it's core to people's day to day existence, isn't it? And how they value themselves and whether they feel they fit or not. And, um, you know, I don't think it's I don't think there is a great theology around it and certainly not a great practice around it so it didn't really nothing really surprised me um but it was interesting to see the patterns I think more than anything and often how people would learn from experience so often if people had said for example when I asked people if they would for example have sex before marriage and it split it wasn't even a Brexit vote it was down the middle so it was 40.6 percent either way Um, And often what people said about that was, well, you know, in my first marriage, I didn't. But if I got married again, I definitely would. And vice versa. You know, I I had sex before, but now if I had my time over again, I wouldn't. So what was clearly happening was people were kind of evolving their practice based on their experience. And obviously, it's not to say that they didn't, it didn't tie in with their theology necessarily, but it was just there was a pragmatism to it that said, Either this isn't the be all and end all that I thought it was, um, or I did it what was, you know, God's way before. um, And it just caused a lot of pain and trauma and difficulty. Or they said, you know, I I did it the other way and now I want to do what I think is God's way. And people just had so many different takes and interpretations and yet they would all call themselves Christian. So... It was interesting, really, again, I guess, to come back to this idea that saying same faith can mean so many different things in reality. It's so nuanced, isn't it? And I think it comes down to experiences, personality, character, culture, what you witnessed in and around relationships within your network, family. Like, There's so much to play a part in it, I think, that a blanket, (laughs) this is how it should be. Is, is outdated, I think, perhaps. I suppose if you've got, you know, if you're a married male church leader talking to predominantly single women about this, if you talk about it at all, you're not really very well qualified to do that. So, you know, there's a challenge just there about who's who's doing the talking and who's doing the listening. Because they don't have answers usually. They can't suddenly produce, you know, lots of suitable single men necessarily. So often it's a containment exercise, I think, just to just to avoid, um, you know, anyone getting into difficulties. It's just, well, don't don't do it. Just be careful and don't do it. There are church leaders now that help people not even to online date, you know, because of the risks as they perceive it. But also the idea that if God wants you to be married, God will produce the person. He'll deliver them to you at the right time. And, you know, it's still still kind of core teaching in a lot of places. And it's so interesting, isn't it? Because it's that idea of like, stay and wait and they'll come along. But also, that if you take that too far, 
they might come along and you're just still waiting and you totally like some at some point someone has to do something right and I just it I don't know how obviously it has worked for some people but I just I don't physically know how that actually how that is meant to work I don't know if there is a way that it works because you know even statistically people are getting married older than they used to so there's a there's a great stat that is not mine it was from a woman who wrote the history of marriage marriage stephanie coots is a marriage historian and she says we are now on average single for over over 50% of what has been known as the prime years of life between 18 and 55 rather than 20% back in the 1960s so we spend a lot more of our adulthood now single than we ever did in the past. So often this teaching that hasn't evolved hasn't taken into account the fact that society around us is settling down later. You know, that people, I guess in the 60s as well, people weren't going to university as much. They weren't having as many life experiences or traveling. So the world looks very different as well. And I don't say the world in that kind of, you know, judgmental, uh, churchy, you know, let's not be like the world. But just literally how we live now is is so different, you know, and, and Christians may get married younger, but that's often to do with containment of urges or an outlet for urges. It's not necessarily that, um, you know, they've, they've had all the experiences they want. You know, I talked to girls in their early 20s who said they felt it was too late for them, that they'd missed the boat. This idea that that was, that was going to be the main thing. You know, one girl had said to me that, uh, after her boyfriend had broken up with her, said, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life now because I thought I was going to do whatever he needed. And I don't know what that's, I don't know what it's going to consist of anymore. So it is it is concerning. I think that people are, are probably still in, you know, church movements and denominations that do emphasise this or even just allow it to continue without necessarily addressing it. But yeah, the, things are things are very different. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's just something that the church needs to understand and talk about more and not assume it has the answers to. You know, listen to people who are actually out there living their lives as well and trust them to have discernment and make good decisions and, you know, don't always centralise it and give them instructions because that's, that's not really the way that it's going to work particularly well, I don't think. Yeah, I can I take can I take you back a few things because I've been trying to formulate a question for a while <laughs> and I might have got it, but just just thinking like it's way back to what we were talking about much earlier, but just like kind of the disparity around like um, women really wanting that um, saying they really highly they wanted a Christian relationship and men saying kindness is higher. I'm just wondering if there if anything came out in your responses that kind of demonstrated or maybe alluded to why actually for women it was far more important mm. that there was a Christ, that it was a Christian relationship versus men like was there anything that came out that would kind of suggest why it it appears to be more important for women than men not in the research but in other research if you look at every other religion around the world, women are more orthodox. They are more likely to be religious. They're more likely to have a faith and believe in God than men. 
So you overlay that again. I know I know Christians do like to think that they are unique often, but if you overlay um, kind of gender and sex differences in other faiths, it's it's the same story. Women are more religious than men, so it matters more. If you go to some societies, I think it was in uh, somewhere in South America where women were more likely to go to church and have faith because it was a safer place for them to express themselves and also to be around safe men than it was at home. So there's all kinds of reasons why that is. And it was really only where you had faiths, um, where the social expectation was orthodoxy and adherence to faith. So, uh, you know, kind of orthodox Judaism and Islam, where you'd have to be seen to follow a faith, whether you actually necessarily had the kind of personal beliefs to go with it or not, where men were matching women in terms of their um, devoutness. So left to their own devices, women were the more faithful um, sex of the two. So it was men who were less likely to be bothered in every setting, in every society, unless society demanded that they play that role. So not my research, but... Yeah, no, but wow. Just that's... context, I think, that we don't often mm. don't often think about. So. I also had a throwback question. It's not as far back, but I was just intrigued that you said that some pastors say you shouldn't online date. That's dangerous. Why? Why is that dangerous? Well, I had people respond to me in the survey and also people I spoke to as well who just said you shouldn't you shouldn't go and look. You know, you shouldn't if God wants you to be with someone, God will provide that person. So it wasn't, you know, that using a device in itself was a bad thing. It was apart from what they would perceive as sort of high risk. It was just literally you, you don't need to go and do this. You don't need to put yourself out there. Think of all the, you know, the catfishing and all the terrible stories and all of the risks, um, you know, the, it was just a way for them to almost acknowledge the world in a tangible form. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't really say to women, don't date at all. I mean, I guess some did, but the idea that, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't go and do it there. That's just asking for trouble. That's like, you know, looking at a catalogue of people, everything that was sort of immoral was linked to this idea that, um, you know, if you online dated, you were on a slippery slope. So, you know, it was just part of this idea of, you know, being removed from the world again, that if it was meant to be, it would happen without you needing to to do anything, never mind advertise yourself. So, And I wonder how much that's changed over COVID, because I'm sure mm. online dating numbers have massively gone up. And I think probably Christian online dating has also gone up. Yeah. Well, I suppose <laughs> people haven't gone back to church in the same numbers and lots of people are questioning the role that church plays so it may be that it doesn't kind of revert in any way and yeah you're right you know there's been lots of online dating that hasn't been um explored before but i don't think we know yet what the shape of church is going to be and whether there'll ever be this return to you know face the front and listen to what someone has to say for you know for 20 or 30 minutes on a sunday and build your life around that we don't know yet what the model is going to is going to be so yeah you know people have been meeting and getting married during lockdowns and and during covid it hasn't stopped them and and this year is meant to be the busiest year for weddings since 1982 with quarter of a million weddings um, in england and wales so 
we obviously missed that <laughs> missed that memo <laughs> yeah it's it hasn't stopped people i guess it's just sort of backed things up and then you know it's all happening mm. again so there was an, an idea that there was going to be when the vaccinations happened that they it was called like the hot vax summer of 2021 that once people were vaccinated they would just go out and go crazy and one of the dating sites had this terrible campaign of lick a stranger which you know in any setting is not great but when people (laughs) just love covid and then they had to kind of come back and revisit and say oh well actually it didn't happen you know we didn't have hot vaxxed summer and actually what we what we found was that people wanted a more serious relationship and they'd considered more of what they wanted and and I don't, I don't think mm. that's any going to be any different for Christians because Christians generally have always dated wanting something, you know, serious mm. and well, they say they do anyway, you know, something serious and long lasting. So it may be that COVID has caused other parts of the world to catch up with that, um, rather than Christians necessarily embracing the wilder side of life. Mm. I think that's also interesting, actually, like with the whole expectation thing. And I think I've been listening to a lot of podcasts about this lately. So apologies if it wasn't you that said this, Becky. But kind of the idea that actually we've got this expectation that Christian men will be a certain way. And actually some people's experience was very much like they were pressured to do more than they wanted to do by Christian men. And actually that wasn't a very safe space for them. And and you can go into a relationship thinking this is going to be, you know, this is a man of God and they have these values and actually they don't necessarily share the value store I don't know if you can say a little bit about that because I found that not surprising in some ways but also surprising yeah I didn't actually I did ask about whether people had bad experiences and I can't find the full statistics I mean I've got data kind of coming out of my ears from the whole thing but lots of people unfortunately had had negative experiences in church settings or through you know through men that they'd met in Christian settings so yeah, that was the case. So it wasn't necessarily that they'd been idealistic about it, but it was just the reality was, you know, those men weren't necessarily any better behaved than Christian than non-Christian men. But often they would meet non-Christian men who took them more seriously um, and were more respectful and, and saw them as a whole person. So it was a little bit of both, which is not to say that people couldn't have, you know, healthy, mutual Christian relationships. It was just that the idea that you would have is a Christian man is safe and good and a non-Christian man is not safe um, and is, you know, risk in every way was just not borne out by people's experiences. So, yeah, someone said to me something along the lines of, I I just started dating um, non-Christian men just to be treated better than I was in the church. So, yeah, there are lessons there. And I think it was someone else's research and I and I can't remember who, so I won't, um, I won't try and put a name on it. But this idea of the sort of small pond and these and lots of these men were ended up being kind of big fish in small ponds. So their behaviour wasn't particularly great. Um, yeah, this idea that, you know, you could kind of be spoilt for choice. And I think spoilt was often what people were saying. You know, these men would think, well, I can just have my pick of someone here. Um, so that bred that kind of entitlement and, you know, poor behaviour. Um, which again isn't you know was not everybody clearly but it was just a trend that was noticeable to people that was quite harmful as well and it I guess it doesn't like this idea that a woman should sit and wait and a man should take the lead and go and ask people out and they can have whoever they want and you know that also doesn't fit in with a lot of men right who actually don't necessarily have that confidence to get like it's 
it feels like both sides of it. There's people who aren't going to fit into, you know, as a woman, I can just sit here and wait for someone to come. And as a man to have to do all of the work in both ways, it just feels unrealistic. Yeah, I think partly that's to do with how people within the church were framing relationships as this thing you kind of step into rather than something that you make with another person. You know, you're both creating something new out of that connection it's not a you know preordained um situation that you walk into and, and you know you step over a, a line and go we are now in a relationship and therefore the following rules apply it, you know that will look different based on the two people involved every single time so i think the idea of asking someone out and therefore initiating a kind of chain of events that's predictable is probably one that needs to be laid to rest a little bit and actually we need to approach each other much more mutually regardless um and wait to see what happens because a lot of the things people told me that you know they wanted out of a relationship are things that you could you know you could go and do with anyone really you know if you want to go and look at a sunset or you want to go and go to an art gallery or you know you can do that on your own you can do that with friends you don't specifically need someone um of a you know who has that title of your partner or your boyfriend or husband or wife or whatever else to go and do those things so often it was more about quality of relationship and friendships and community aside from you know what this person was going to was going to bring and sadly, I think for Christians, part of it was often status within within the Christian community and within the church. So a lot of people said that they thought they would be more respected if they were married or if they... Because you couldn't just... I guess it was this weird kind of state of affairs where either you were single or you were married and the sort of blurry bit in between where most people were, um, nobody really knew what to do with. So if you were single, that was fine. You just had to kind of you know, slowly waste away, waiting for, for love or whatever. And if you were married, then you got a gold star and then you'd be offered all kinds of, you know, incentives and great things at church and respect and leadership opportunities. And these these two things were really separate. And then you had most people, I guess, sort of somewhere in the middle who were dating or might be in a relationship or were just figuring it out Um and I guess the church just didn't really know what to do with that. And so people were pushing towards marriage, not necessarily because that person and the relationship was going to fulfill them, but because within their community, it would increase, you know, respect and standing and they would suddenly be in the elite almost. It was, it was quite worrying really in some cases. And I know every church is different, but I think, churches do often unintentionally model this idea that if you emulate that often what the leader looks like then more doors open for you then you're more valued as a person and you know you you go up a grade in effect and I've, I've heard people say it and thought they were joking and found then found out that they're not you know they've said things like oh it's you know, it's time for the promotion and we know we've, we've stepped up and I've gone, all right. And they, oh, oh, you're not joking. You really have viewed getting married as, you know, as a promotion in effect, as a, a, you know, launching into something new that gives you new scope. And even for pastors, you know, vicars who would say that they would be less likely to get jobs if they were unmarried because they just didn't come with the 
the right look or they didn't come with a person who would do a lot of the hospitality and other things that would be expected. So it's very ingrained, unfortunately. Is there anything then that you would say we could start doing to try and promote a healthier or like a more realistic kind of um, teaching or discussion around it, given what your results demonstrate? From your research yeah i think trusting women particularly is really really important um you know if women are christian if they're involved in the church if they have listened to lots of other kinds of teaching then surely by now they should be trusted to know what um what is good for them in the decisions that they make about dating and other things so i think there is that empowerment um and listening rather than just telling and warning or assuming the worst, um, that's a key thing. But also for you know friendships and community to be more important, so that it isn't this sort of waiting to be asked out. That was one of the things that came out of someone else's research. This phrase that I hate of you know or manning up, manning up and asking women out, um, which actually just creates you know, the expectation that you were talking about that is really off-putting for a lot of people. But also it just creates a really strange dynamic where, you know, women become more passive and men are meant to be, you know, playing a role. And clearly if they're not, you know, doing this manning up already, it's not them. It's not what suits them as people. So I think just allowing each other to be ourselves, to be um, different and you know have broader perspectives would also really help and to take the pressure off I guess it all comes from the top in some in some respects you know that if the church could stop putting on a pedestal this particular ideal then other things would follow from that so you know in churches that are led by single women or, or, or single men it's not uh, held in the same way you know it's not put up at the front every time that There'll be a, you know, a lovely young family or an older family or, um, you know, you'll see different kinds of people leading and, and involved in things and understand that, you know, they won't be just single or married. They could be somewhere in between and, you know, dating and trying relationships and seeing where people fit into communities. So I think the church being more welcoming to people who, you know, their members meet and bring along or you know, creating spaces for people to just try and get to know people where it doesn't have to be all or nothing would would really help as mm. well. Yeah, 100% agree with that. And it's, yeah, it doesn't all need to necessarily be like taught from the front, does it? It's how we actually communicate with each other and interact with each other. And when people start dating and people immediately like, oh, you know, is it serious? When are you going to get married? Like, that is not helpful to anyone. <laughs> so people mm. just could be a bit more chilled out in general, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And celebrating people's other achievements. I mean, there's, you know, there's almost nothing that a human could do that would get them more likes on social media than to say that they were getting married or having a baby. And, you know, I think, you know, winning an Oscar, going to the moon, almost anything else, you know, you'd really have to do something spectacular to get more likes than the simple act of saying oh I've decided to legally hitch myself to this this person and it's that level and all the presence as well yeah the presence (laughs) it's worth it just for the presence isn't it I mean yeah there's there are people I think America probably has a more mature conversation about this than a lot of the UK 
but this idea of you know when you move into a new place having um you know a sort of new home shower or a singleness shower or something that means you still get the presence you know your life goals are often harder to achieve because you're not um you know sharing the yeah. the financial burden so actually mm-hmm. those are people that probably need the gifts more <laughs> they need um you know they need to feel recognized and for marriage not to be the start of adulthood um mm-hmm. you know i think there's lots that we could do just about celebrating people and supporting people whatever their state of life because also getting married doesn't mean that you have more money or that you're happier there is research that says that you're not and often and some American research that said, um, you know, women were less happy <laughs> than men and often chose if they were widowed um, or divorced in later life not to marry again, because I guess generationally they would go back into a kind of caring and supporting role. And they were just like, no, nope, see you later. Got more fun things to do. <laughs> so, you know, there's this idea that marriage is going to make you really happy and fulfill you that doesn't really get interrogated either. So. Obviously, it can be great. It can be lots of fun and lots of other things. But I just, I think it's become so binary, the idea of you're either single or you're married. And that comes with its own set of rewards and punishments. And we're just not very good at being nuanced about it, which I think is probably what's missing. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I would agree. I think we need to become more nuanced. And I think, like you say, like, you know, encourage each other through all life stages in promote each other to be our best selves and to be loving and kind and, you know, demonstrating, I guess what I'd say is like fruits of the spirit and like, yeah, really promoting that within our communities and striving for those things as well. I think often when people are single, we only think about it in terms of being never married and we don't think about them being divorced or widowed or other other situations. Mm. Um, and there were quite a lot of, you know, younger Christians who'd married early, who were now divorced, who, uh, you know, would say, well, I, you know, I've done it. I've, I've been married and I, I've got a different story to tell. And I, I think we don't often really hear that in, in the same way either. Um, I think it's. I think it is about the fruits of the spirit and about community and how we live together and share and create a place where every person is valued no matter what. Um, mm-hmm. And that is that is the big challenge, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a massive challenge, but it would be, I feel like it would make the church such a more appealing place for people to go to if they actually felt like whatever stage they are, they are welcomed and they don't need to justify it or apologise for it or feel embarrassed about it or... I don't know, insert whatever negative emotions yeah. they might feel about their divorce or their singleness. Or... Yeah, yeah. It's how you get to be countercultural rather than subcultural, isn't it? So you're not just, you know, there are people who've become Christians later who said, I didn't even know singleness was a thing until I went into the church. And then suddenly that was what, that was my sort of number one label after being Christian mm-hmm. was I was single. Um, and I think that's, a real disservice to everyone in the church and outside of it as well that's just reinforcing something that the world has moved on from in in many ways so there is work to do in that um and i think i think there are encouraging signs but i don't know what will happen post pandemic as the church figures out what it wants to do 
because you know loneliness mm. obviously is a big big factor one of the one of the stats that i came across not one of my own research was that in terms of people feeling lonely it was this crazy number um of the equivalent in england and wales who said said they felt lonely was 9 million which is the population of london so we're talking about a bigger issue than just whether people have a husband or wife because i'm absolutely sure that in those nine million people they would not just be single people they would be a complete mix of people at all life stages and in difficulties and marriage doesn't fix any of that anyway so you know the church has bigger things to do in terms of dealing with loneliness and isolation and and poverty and injustice that actually whether you're married or not shouldn't shouldn't be a defining characteristic but it often is. Yeah. Uh, Vicky, thank you so much for joining us. I feel like we have talked for a long time, but is there anything else you would really love to say before we let you go? There's nothing I'd really love to say, except you're both great and it's good that you're doing this. So <laughs> I, hope, thank you. I hope lots of people are being encouraged um, by what you're saying and what you're offering them because it's an important conversation to have. So thank you for creating a platform which I know is not always an easy thing to do and to maintain so good on you both for doing that thank Thank you you much well I'm sure they'll be encouraged I just think the statistics are really encouraging even though they're quite stark to just actually there's other people who are in the same situation as Mm. you like you're not alone yeah in feeling like it hasn't gone the way that you wanted it to and I think that's encouraging to hear so thank you for doing this because I think yeah it's not um it's not what we hear a lot of the time um, and it's not what we see on tv and it's not what we in general are presented with within church or within society so it's helpful to just know yeah um it's okay yeah. <laughs> that it's not hollywood or yeah which is weird isn't it now we have technology that can you know we can all create our own platform and say anything it's weird i think i think things are shifting and i hope you know as as more people grow up they don't feel like they have to go through all of this and learn it for the first time as as we had to you know that things will have moved on and there will already be these pockets and conversations in communities where it doesn't just repeat the problems that other people have gone through so yeah I think they're like little little bursts of starlight in a dark sky so good on you for making the most of it Mm. Oh, thank you so much. so much it's been so lovely to chat to you sorry about our technical yeah. issues <laughs> no, I think they were my technical issues as well um, and obviously there is lots I could rub it on about but you have probably got more, much more than you could possibly need so. <laughs> no that was really great thank you so much oh, you're welcome it's great to talk to you